Good morning, friends, and welcome to our 945 worship service on this, the 10th Sunday after Pentecost. Welcome to those of you in the room. Welcome to, we know many more who are joining us online. It's good to worship God together in this way today. Uh, my name is James Howell. I am one of the pastors still here. <laughs> and uh, I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica Dason. Good morning. It's good to be together for worship. I want to highlight for you that um, it's August. It's back to school month. So our missions department is doing a back to school collection for school supplies. If you go to our website and go to the serve tab, you can find even an Amazon wish list. So it's nice and easy for you. Also, while, you, while you're on that page of our website, I hope that you will sign up. Um, there is a place for you to serve. This month, we have several events that are happening um, for all ages, from children to older adults. We have something for everyone to, to build playhouses for our Habitat for Humanity houses or to serve a meal. There are ways that you can serve. So I hope that you will take advantage of that um, and get plugged in. Friends, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. So let us continue on in worship.
family of God, let us join our voices together as we profess our faith through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, it is a good and right thing when we come together to confess our sins before God and one another, knowing that God has no end to his grace. So friends, let us join now in our prayer of confession. Gracious God, we carry anger in our hearts we cannot release. Our past regrets continue to shame us with pain. Scarcity binds our hearts from generosity and growth. Give us courage to choose you in the face of temptations. Set us free for joyful obedience and faithful witness. Open us to a future of peace, hope, and love with you. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Old Testament reading is Genesis chapter 32, beginning with the 22nd verse. The same night he arose, and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children, and crossed the fork of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise, everything that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, He touched the hollow of his thigh, and Jacob's thigh was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Tell me, I pray, your name. But he said, Why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his thigh. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel reading is Matthew chapter 32, beginning with the 22nd verse. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place apart. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. As he went ashore, he saw a great throng, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a lonely place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. This is the word of God for the people of God. I love these uh, two readings coming to us. They are uh, prescribed by the uh, Revised Common Lectionary. What that means is uh, you have friends, relatives in other parts of the country, maybe in other parts of the world, they're hearing these same passages today. It's cool. Uh, and there are two moments where uh, somebody's alone, but they're not really alone. Jacob thinks that he's alone, but then he isn't, and it, it, it's like a fight for his life. And then Jesus is alone, but he's not really alone. We call that solitude, by the way. Solitude is when you're alone, but you're not lonely because you're with God. One of the keys to the spiritual life, uh, I'm coming off something of, uh, Jesus took a bit of a sabbatical there, you could say. Uh, I'm back from a sabbatical. It's good to be back. I missed you guys a lot. Um, I was just reminded uh, of how much of a lucky dog I am. I've had this job for 20 years, good grief. And it's just been wonderful, and uh, I miss you. It's good to be back, good to be back in this space. Um, love you. You know, a lot of you uh, have uh, early comments or things like, man, the rest of your staff did so great. Stay gone three more months. I left you in great hands. I wouldn't leave you in any other situation. It's good to be back. Uh, during the time uh, that I was gone, I did this uh, one thing. I took, uh, we took a group of 27 from our church, high school seniors from our church to Israel. My lovely wife pointed out to me, she said, on a sabbatical, you're not supposed to work. She said, taking teenagers to Israel sounds like work. <laughs> And I tell people, I took teenagers to Israel, and they go, oh, and my only response to them is, have you ever taken grown-ups on a trip somewhere? They can be terrible creatures. And uh, our high school seniors, I just have to say, they were absolutely splendid in Israel. Not one of them whined ever. Not one of them was late. I could say, we're going to start at 6 a.m. They were on time. They were with the program. They were absolutely Fabulous! We should be so proud uh, of them. It had just an absolutely uh, lovely experience. And uh, one of the things that I said to them is that, you know, while we're here, maybe instead of thinking about, oh, this is a profound spiritual experience or, you know, this is a great you know, tour to get a lot of photos to post to Instagram or whatever, 
Instead of thinking of it like this, is that uh, you love Jesus so much you want to go see the places where he lived. I can remember my dad in old age, uh, I went and picked him up one time and I said, I want you to show me you know, like the house where you were born. You know, where did your brother move to when he first, so we took this driving tour. I loved him, I wanted to see the places. You, you love Jesus enough, you know, like you wanted to show up where he was, to see where he healed, to see where he taught. It's an absolutely lovely thing. You're a bulletin cover. Don't get too attentive to it, keep listening to me. Uh, there's an image there uh, of an interesting graffiti that is in the crypt of the Church of the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem where Jesus was uh, raised from the dead, where his tomb was. They built a church over it. And a few decades after Jesus' death, some pilgrims came there, and they must have come by boat because they drew a picture of their boat on the wall, and then uh, what the inscription says is simply, Lord, we came. Lord, I love that. Lord, we came. We showed up. Jesus, when he goes into solitude to pray, I, did he have a great spiritual experience? I have no idea. Did God answer his prayers? I have no idea. Jesus showed up. He came into God's presence, and God was honored by that. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, somebody who's not a church person at all, I said, how do you become spiritual? And I want to think about that. How do you become spiritual if you aren't? We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But some of it is just showing up. Like you, you just, you, you show up. You show up for church. You, you, you show up for solitude. You show up to read something out of your Bible. You show up for a class. You show up for something. And you show up and you show up and you show up. These high school seniors, uh, they're so remarkable. Uh, I would suggest to you, not because of uh, where they went to high school or their brilliant parents, I would say they're amazing because uh, with church, they've just shown up over and over and over again. We said to them, here's a program for kindergartners, and they showed up. We said, here's a small activity for third graders, and they showed up. We said, here's confirmation, and they showed up. We said, here's a seventh grade small group, and they showed up. Here's church. They just kept showing up and showing up and showing up, and the fruit of showing up over and over again is absolutely remarkable. Jacob, he's so interesting, he's not showing up in God's presence. He's on the run. He's not coming. He's going. Uh, he's exhausted. He's, uh, he's got a stressed out marriage. That's bad. His father-in-law wants to kill him. His brother wants to kill him. He's in huge trouble. He is on the run from God. He's not pious. He's not holy. He's obstinate. He's exhausted. We could say, to his credit, that he's resilient. And resilience is a cool thing. And I have to, as an aside, say the coolest news story during the time that I was gone, did you see it? It involved uh, four people, if you learned their names, Leslie and Soleni and Tien and Kristen. They are 13, 9, 4, and 1 years old. These are the children that survived for weeks in the Amazon. Did you see this story? And it's so moving, and, and what it suggests is what, how amazing are people? What are we capable of? We can be real weenie sometimes. We think we're not capable of much, but those children survived all that time in the jungle. The nights had to have been the hardest, dark in the jungle. They knew they'd lost their mother. Absolutely. I mean, Jacob's resilient, but sometimes resilient may not be. Jacob, like he's a tough guy. 
And uh, I've told you this before, Frederick Beekner said that a lot of us live our lives like a clenched fist, and the clenched fist can do a lot of things. It can work, it can fight, it can hang on to things, but the one thing the clenched fist just can't figure out how to do is how to accept a helping hand. Jacob lives his life like a clenched fist. It's hard for God to get to him. And so Jacob is alone uh, by night, and then suddenly he's not alone. Uh, it always reminds me of a peculiar uh, Father's Day. I've told a few of you this story before. It's great. Um, it was Father's Day, and I forget why there were mission trips involved or something. My wife was out of town. My daughters were out of town. My son was out of town. I was out of town. I was driving back some, from somewhere, arriving back after dark, and I knew I was going to be by myself for Father's Day. I had a little moment of a pity party. I've got to be honest. Like, oh, it's Father's Day. No one's here to honor me. Then I thought, it'll be okay, I'll have a glass of wine, watch something on TV, and go to bed. It'll be fine. I get to the house, pitch black dark, as I would expect. I get to the back door of what's now Uyun Kim's house in the garage, and I put the key in, and I open the door, and I go through, and I reach for the light. But before I can get to the light, I am grabbed and thrown rudely to the floor. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I try to get up and I can't get up. And this, this strong, stronger than I am person is on me. And I'm thinking, I'm going to die tonight. This is how it will be. And then I hear this laughter. And I'm like, what? And the light comes on and it's my son, Noah. He's, you know, driven somewhere and surprised me. He's been hiding in the dark for how long? He didn't know what time I was coming home, and there he was. It was great. I thought it was going to be like the end of everything, and it turned out it was, it was love. It turned out it was love. I what Jacob does. Jacob is attacked. He hangs on. He fights. And he, is it a thief? Is it a man? Is it an angel? Is it God? He doesn't know. Somehow he perceives the God's in it somehow. And he asks, what is your name? The name... It's love. In the course of this battle, he's injured and he limps away. I like that part. <laughs> he's injured and he limps away. Jonathan Sachs, great rabbi, reflects on this and he said, uh, Jacob is one of many who uh, they go away from something with honorable scars. Honorable. Do you have any honorable scars? In Graham, Gre Graham Greene's novel, The End of the Affair, a woman looks at her lover, and he has a terrible scar on his shoulder, and she thinks, I hope that that scar is on his shoulder through all of eternity because of how he got it. He was out one day, and there was a, a wall that suddenly was crumbling, and he dove in front of an elderly man to save him from the falling wall, and it put gashes in his shoulder. The, those scars say something about who he is, his character, his love. Rachel Hollis, a blogger, uh, she famously a few years back posted a photo of herself uh, after having a baby in a small bikini showing her stretch marks. And she said, uh, women aren't supposed to show photos of their stretch marks, but I am proud of these marks. They're not, they're not scars, they are stripes, and I have earned them. Like, I love that. Honorable scars. Uh, I'll tell you this, I don't want to dwell on it, but just briefly, I have a new scar that I didn't have when I saw you last. I got that on uh, April the 19th. I have a scar that begins on my sternum and goes down below my belly button. I will never 
in my life go shirtless on a beach again. It would frighten young children. It frightens me to see it in the mirror. What happened on April the 19th is everything was fine. I was getting ready for sabbatical a couple weeks away. At least now we're in an event. We got home. I had the, like, the worst pain of my life. She finally persuades me, at least it persuades me not to tough it out, but to go to the emergency room. Pretty quickly, there's a doctor in front of me, and the doctor says, sir, you need to have surgery. And I said, I wanted a pill to go home. And I said, uh, when? She said, right now. It's midnight. And I said, can't this wait till morning? And she said, you could die tonight. So I said, well, I think right now would be such a good time for the surgery, and uh, she did so, and I was in the hospital for 15 pretty miserable days, all's well. Now, I have a friend who learned what was going on, and she sent me an email and said, God has a way of slowing you down. This is profoundly wrong, right? It's not like God thinks James is so busy, I'm gonna afflict him with this horrible surgery, and that'll slow him down. That's not what God does, uh, it did slow me down. I, I bring this up because of uh, Jacob in the middle of the night. Uh, when you're in the hospital like that and you're in uh, extreme pain and you have nausea and all of that, uh, the nights are the worst. Actually, when you're at home and you're anxious about something, the nights are the worst, are they not? And during those nights, uh, I'll be honest with you, it would get to be two or three in the morning, and um, it's this weird thing. I, uh, I would pick up my phone, and I would thumb through messages, texts, and emails from you guys. And I had some handwritten notes by my bed. A lot of you had been so kind as to reach out and say, James, I'm praying for you. And, and God does this strange thing. Like, I knew it, but I experienced it, which is... God, through God's magic, through God's mysterious miracle, can make it to where your love, your prayer travels across space and time, and it comes into a hospital room somewhere, and I felt myself being enveloped, embraced by your love. And it really mattered. It really helped a lot. The other thing that happens in the middle of the night in a hospital is the nurses, bless their hearts, they won't leave you alone. It's not their fault. It's in their job description. They come in and they poke and they prod and stick you and do all this stuff at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and so on. At first, I thought I could get really annoyed about this and ask them not to do it, but then I decided to take a different tack, and I'm glad that I did. Each time a nurse would come in, I would just say, what, what is your name? They would tell me their name, and I would, this is so interesting, I would say, where are you from? Now, I had a lot of nurses over 15 nights to come in, and when I said, where are you from, not one of them simply said, Cleveland. Instead, they would say, Cleveland, you know, my family got there because my dad took, they start narrating why they landed in Cleveland, and then they would tell me how they came to be in Charlotte, and then they would start to tell me other stuff. They would tell me, you know, my one said, yeah, my, my, my husband's having an affair. It's just so painful. And another said, I, I really don't want to be a nurse any longer. I want to. All the, they were sharing all of these dreams and wounds. 
And it was a lovely thing in the middle of the night. So interesting. People always have stories. Not one of them, not one of them told me their political ideology. What's your name? I'm a staunch Republican. And nobody did that, right? <laughs> Instead, we talked about wounds and dreams. I love in this passage that uh, John read, and John will forgive you for the color of your jacket there. I know you wore that just to welcome me back. Um, all's well. I've got a darker one I can loan you. Um, in the passage, after Jesus uh, withdraws and is alone, there's a crowd, so he comes back out to see the crowd and the disciples. They come to Jesus and they say, these people are hungry, do something. I don't love Jesus' response to them. Instead of, you know, calling down some manna from heaven, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Like, I love that. Like, we, we as a church, I'm so proud of you. I'm glad to be part of this church. We're a church that we know it's up to us to give people something to eat. That's how God gives people stuff to eat is we, the people of God, give people something to eat. It was such a pleasure for me to come back to work this week, and on day one, on day one, I got to go to Plato Price out near the airport where we consecrated the first seven of 39 homes that we are building. I hope you are half as proud as I am to be part of a church that wants to be generous and build a neighborhood for families and children. And they are strangers, although you hope they will not continue to be strangers. How lovely. You give them something to eat. The stranger part is interesting. Part of the being spiritual is, is encounters with strangers. Uh, you know, when you have little children, you tell them, don't talk to strangers. It's the same as with little children, you say, don't cross the street. That's great advice for a four-year-old, but by the time you're an adult, you can cross the street. You figure out how to do it. Don't talk to strangers is great counsel for a four-year-old, but then why on earth as grown-ups don't we ever talk to strangers? You can do this. It's part of growth in the spiritual life is meeting the stranger, hearing their stories and their dreams. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs again wrote this thinking about strangers. If you see a stranger, if you are human, so is he. If you think he is less than human, so are you. Although he may not be in your image, he is nonetheless in God's image. Why should we not hate or fear the stranger? Because the stranger is God. Jacob's stranger is God. Very tough situation. He's hanging on for his life, but yet in the course of that battle, he clings to the stranger and says, I won't let you go until you bless me. There's just something in that for all of us, right? I think the spiritual life is when we decide that, that we won't let the situation that we're facing, we won't let the challenge that we are facing, we won't let the difficulty that we have found ourselves in, we won't let the pain that is about to undo us, we, we, we won't let it go until we find the blessing that's in it. When I was in the hospital, a friend reminded me of a poem uh, by the Irish poet John O'Donohue, who's died and gone on to glory. He wrote a poem one time about having a serious illness and what do you do spiritually with a serious illness. He says, 
I hope the, spirit, the, the serious illness can be a lantern in the dark. A lantern in the dark. And I hope that this lantern might illuminate new qualities emerging in me and that the light of that lantern might release whatever has become false. Friends, as best I can tell, the spiritual life isn't having a bunch of pious feelings. It's we say, Lord, we came. And we come, and we come again. And we want the light of God's love to illuminate new qualities that can emerge in us. I'm not sure what they are for me yet, but I'm still looking for it. I'm still waiting on it. I'm still discovering what that is, having gone through such a thing. <laughs> and then was, that light also reveals whatever is false in us that we need to shed, we need to let go. What's false in you? What new qualities is God calling out of you? Uh, friends, I didn't tidy up a good ending to the sermon. I just want to say uh, thank you for showing up. You came. And it's such an honor for me, week by week, to stand up here and I ramble sometimes, talk to you about the things of God. I know you care about the things of God becoming more holy, becoming God's people together, giving the world something to eat. So thank you. Thank you. I'm honored. God is honored. Friends, let us go to God in prayer.
Lord, we gather this morning to worship because we desire to grow in love with you and encounter your presence together. Remind us of your compassion and reaffirm your grace as we pray and praise you. You are with us, and so may we be fully present here and now. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Spirit of the living God, we give thanks for your tender love for your world and for all your kids. You created us to be brothers, sisters, and friends together. So enable us to no longer obsess to be more like the world or even to become a better version of this world, but instead to be transformed by your words, to be different from this world as a people of God who give witness to God's love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Help us to know ourselves as you know us. Help us to know our neighbors as you know them. Help us to know the strangers and foreigners in our midst as you know them. Help us to know our enemies, even our enemies, like you know them. You know all of us in the light of forgiveness, generosity, and mercy. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. The worldly images of beauty surround us and bombards us. The image of beauty that we seek often leaves us so weary left wanting. Instead, may we seek the beauty as witness through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus, for you are beautiful. May we become beautiful like you and learn to celebrate the same images of beauty that you celebrate. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We lift up those who mourn this day those who have experienced loss. We lift up especially the family of Marilee Grogan, for she has finished her course in faith, now rests with you. We pray for all those who mourn, family and friends. As we're trusting in the assurances of the promises of God, we are able to pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray as we pray together. Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us for our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, as always, we give thanks. We give thanks for God's continuous blessings and guidance on our church as we do God's ministry and for our collective generosity that enables and empowers the ministries that we do together. As the ushers come forward this morning, let us receive our tithes and morning thanksgiving.
Loving and gracious God, we give a portion of that which you've given to us so generously. Bless him so that they may become seeds of generosity, bringing life to others in Jesus' name. Amen.
to watch you uh, sing and for us to sing together. Now may the grace of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore. Amen.